What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Track 26, The Light Skin War, Volume 2. I'm your host, The Rook, and I'm joined by The Analyst, and we're bringing it to you straight, Shatter the Script, every Wednesday. And boy, is today a good day. Today is a fantastic day, and why is that, Ryan? Why, why are we in a great mood today? Well, that's an easy easy answer, Jared. We're smoking on that Eagles pack again. That's correct. That's correct. The bird killer loaded his shotgun up and took him down in Dallas. So That's right. He loaded up his bird shot, and he, he started firing some rounds, two specifically, two touchdowns for Dak Prescott, which we'll get into later in the episode per usual. Uh, we're going to, of course, we're going to have our track ranking segment, our top three Christmas movies lined up for you guys. Uh, Shatter the script to start it off. Moving into the medical, or I'm sorry, the 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 analyst's two minute drill with some gameplay analysis, um, and of course all the rest of the fixing. So we are, we're in for a good one, and we're excited for this December because we've got some great ball left to play for the Dallas Cowboys. But without further ado, let's get into the shadow the script segment uh, brought to you by us, the the track podcast. So let's get it. This is the Dak Prescott commercial from Twitter. As a professional quarterback, I get a lot of shit. Indecisiveness in the red zone. Most overrated quarterback. You got more turnovers than a bake sale! <laughs> and I get it. When you're not a fan of something, shitting on it can make you feel good. But what if I told you that now it can do some good too? Let me show you how. First, if you're 45 or older, talk to your doctor about getting screened for colon cancer. Then, if you're prescribed a home screening kit like this, grab the sample collection container and place a sticker of something you want to shit on right on the underside. Not a fan of marine life? Slap it on. Have issues with old-timey prospectors? Boom. It works with anything from colors to large American predatory birds. Then, follow the instructions on collecting and shipping your sample. Here we go! And in about two weeks, you'll have the results. It's that easy to get screened for colon cancer and make your feelings abundantly clear. So talk to your doctor today. <laughs> Home screening kits like Cologuard are for people 45 or older of average the risk, end. not for high-risk people like Dak. Dak actually wouldn't use a home test kit, but he's so committed to preventing people from getting colon cancer that he agreed to star in this video we wrote for him without any concern for his safety. I definitely deserve that. Visit leadfrombehind.org to get more information and some stickers we made. There you go. Fantastic video there from Dak Prescott and co, including Ryan Reynolds, I guess, who I did not think was going to be in this video. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what's funny about this shadow of the script clip is one, this is in such an impressive commercial. I mean, he basically said everything that we would have said, because this is, sounds like an ESPN segment. It's like, yeah, you want to shit on somebody? Well, guess what? You know, you can put your name right on this thing and you can shit on whoever you want to, to make yourself feel better. And, and, I tell you who would love that uh, sort of material on that product. And I'm not, not saying that he should have whatever's in the commercial. I'm just saying this product in general for shitting is Shady McCoy and Joy Taylor. <laughs> Those are two great candidates to slap a sticker of Dak Prescott on the bottom of it and just shit on it. Um, so th this is an impressive commercial. What were your thoughts on this commercial? My first thought was, wasn't it ironic that he said even large American predatory birds slapped an eagle on there? Oh, and yeah. And he went out and did what he had to do against the eagles. And then the dolphin in there as well. So but it's a perfect commercial for Dak because he's like, you know, 
he's the number one. I always he always gets shit on. So it's it's just a perfect commercial to start Dak in. And it, it's it was perfectly timed with this week as well. So yeah. And that's even going into the gauntlet as well, which is I think is hilarious. I mean, it could have been more perfect marketing timing um from what they're doing and it was for a good cause too so they can't criticize it so i mean just yeah the the video speaks for itself this was i mean i know i'm a dax stand and a dax disciple but this video like i was laughing out loud i was like wow like this is exactly the kind of content i want to hear from like dak prescott for the amount of slander that he takes as a starting quarterback with a star on the side of his helmet so all right let's move on in to directly into the two-minute drill presented by the analyst, which we're going to have some in-game in play analysis, some statistical records and stuff, which we'll split in the middle. That stats will come first. And then once we get into that stat uh, or that play-by-play -play analysis, it'll move us directly into the NFL Week 14 recap with the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. Without further ado, the analysts, go ahead and start your mark. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and start. Usually this is Jacob's part right here at the beginning. Um, I would actually love – I wish Jacob, uh, the medical guy, was here to give his little spill on the uh, injury reports because there's been some interesting injuries, uh, particularly towards the Dolphins with Tyreek Hill yeah. and then kind of some, some lingering ones out there from like Trevor Lawrence and how they're doing. But I am the analyst, so I am the stat guy. So I am not bringing that to the table. But we'll go ahead and get started with some stats, and then we're going to roll right into a video um, of the controversial call that was made in the Chiefs-Bills game, but I will break that play down. So we're going to go ahead and start off with Zeke Fat-Ass Elliott, Fat-Ass <laughs> question mark, uh, 22 carries, 68 yards with seven touches or seven catches, 72 yards and a touchdown. This is a huge game for the Patriots and just a season that doesn't matter. But, you know, even though I've said my piece about Zeke, it's always kind of nice to see that he's still got it every once in a while. Yeah, um, he had a great game on Thursday night, and he uh, helped the Patriots win, I think, their third game. They're just a mess. And then the next up – and uh, the other thing I was going to say about this is I have a lot of guys on here that we don't ever really mention. So oh, that's good. <laughs> this this season has – or this, this particular week had a lot of names that just kind of popped out of nowhere. So the next one is – Zach, I don't want to play Wilson. I mean, there's been all these reports out that he didn't want to play this year or play this week. You know, it was almost like he was crying about wanting to play for the Jets. And then he went out there and threw for 301 yards, two touchdowns against the Texans, who have a pretty good defense. And they yeah. handled the Texans pretty well. Uh, another guy that we need to worry about is C.J. Stroud. He's on the concussion protocol, so hopefully he, yeah. he's all right. Next up, Desmond Ritter. I mean, we never mentioned Desmond Ritter. He had 347 yards, a touchdown, and an interception with an L. And, I mean, we've been saying this season he has been just atrocious to watch just because the Falcons, I mean, they have every piece they need. Right. But it just it's, – it's sad that they lost. But, I mean, he also threw for 347 yards. And that same game, Rashad White had 25 carries, 100 yards for the Bucks. I mean, he, he popped off. And then Drake quick shout-out. Yeah, and Drake London too. A quick shout-out to uh, a San Houston State grad. I actually have my hoodie on right now. That's just coincidence. Zion McCollum led the Bucks in tackles. He was a former T 
teammate of mine. He was a dog at Sam Houston, a lockdown corner. He had two PBUs as well. Next, I have Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Jake Browning. He has had some very strong outings in the last couple of weeks, and he is keeping that Bengals playoff hope alive right now. 275 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. I mean, last week he had like three-something against against the uh, the Jags, and they won yeah. that game, and he looked like an all-star. So, I mean, he's been playing pretty good. And the next thing I have on here is the Rams-Ravens game. We will not be recapping this game. But I gotta tell you, there were some major numbers in this game. Like Lamar we can Jackson. Touch on it if we need to. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was a good game. It was a good game. This game went into overtime. Pretty sure the Rams won or the uh, Ravens won 37-31. But Lamar had 306 16 uh, passing yards, three touchdowns, an interception, and 70 yards on the ground. OBJ making a name for himself again. Four receptions, 97 yards, and a touchdown. And then on the other side of the ball, you had Kyron Williams, 25 carries, 114 yards. Stafford had 294 with three touchdowns. Cup finally coming alive. I know a lot of fantasy yep. man- managers, including me, have been yep. waiting for this moment, and it's already too late because the playoffs are here and I missed it. Um, eight receptions, 115 yards and a touchdown. And then Puka Nakua with five receptions and 84 yards. Shout out to uh, Puka Nakua, man. I said that when Cup came back, he had basically disappeared, but he is, I think he's been more uh, productive than Cup has this year. And that might just be because Cup has some lingering, lingering injuries. Yeah. Now we will move into the uh, video of the week, or as I'm going to start calling it, the All 22 film room with the Adams. So. <laughs> Going to add this to the stage here. Uh, let me see. Jared, can you see that flame? Yeah, we can see it. Um, it's all good. Yep. All righty. So here you go. This is the controversial call, but we're going to go ahead and break down the play for you. So Chiefs come out in a bunch set. You got three receivers to the left, one up top. Uh, it's 12 personnel, so you can see that inside bunch guy is actually another tight end. you got Kelsey on the far side, and then you've got Kadarius Tony, which is – this is the call. Clearly offsides. Uh, there's no question about that. But what I wanted to point out here is Bills are in man down front with a wide-open A gap. As you can see, there is no – nobody lined up in the A. So right away, Patrick Mahomes, being a pretty dang good quarterback, notices that and says, hey, guys – We've got a bunch of guys on the left side of the line here. We got a bunch, or we got two guys on the right taking up the outside shade of the tackle and the guard. There's going to be somebody coming right down the A gap, probably right. this linebacker that you can see is already moving straight up, uh, straight to the line of scrimmage. So, Creed Humphrey being one of the best centers in the NFL, in my opinion, he's young, but he's really good. He's going to call a and I'm going to click play and stop. You can see that guy's coming up the A-gap. So what they do is they call slide left and man-to-man on the right, and they identify that blitzer as Mike. So what they did was that running back is going to pick up that blitzer, and the line's going to slide left right. to start to play. And you get a nice little check on Vaughn Miller from the tight end, and that's going to allow Kelsey to catch this thing over the middle. And with all that blocking, they pick it up perfect time. They give uh, Mahomes plenty of time to throw this ball. 
And now this is where I'm, I'm not sure what, what this is. I don't know if this is designed <laughs> or what that is, but I mean, that's a, that's a crazy call. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know if Kelsey meant to do that or if that was a part of the play, but right. this play was completely negated because I mean, you can see from where they just circled right there that he is across the line of scrimmage. His helmet is essentially on the ball, which means his foot is offsides. I mean, to me, this, this has to be called and especially in like a game like this, they've been saying for a while, that you know this this call's been coming up more and more throughout the season. Yeah. Over the last couple seasons. But I mean, this has to be called. You know, I get Mahomes through his little pity party, but you have to call that. But anyway, we'll watch that play one more time, watch it all come together in live. You'll watch that line slide, get the check, you'll watch the running back pick him up, and then Kelsey's running free over the middle. So it was a great play design by Andy Reid and Co. And you could see Kelsey's wide open. So it's just a wild play. I don't think that was designed at all. I think I don't that think was just so. I wanted Kelsey to see it again. playing on his feet. Yeah, I wanted to see it again right there in real time, like he had it played. And and you could tell his eyes weren't working its way over there. He was clearly trying to get up the field and find the best juke available. It wasn't until he broke that second tackle that he happened to look over there and and find the perpetrator, as you could, I guess you could say. Yeah, and, and you yeah. see Tony, there's Tony down here just, like, not even paying attention, but he cuts out of the screen. He's not looking for the ball until, like, until Kelsey kind of looks up. So, to me, I don't, like, that's not – I don't think that was designed. I think that was just a actually a baller yeah. as a play from, from yeah. Kelsey. But yeah, and we've seen – play broke down right there, so. Yeah, and that was awesome. Appreciate you doing that. Um it's always nice hearing the offensive line, you know, assignments as well and being able to read where pressure is generating from. Um, so that was, that was awesome. Um, but, you know, like to get into this recap, you know, we'll transition into the week 14 recap with, of course, the Bills winning 20 to 17 versus the Chiefs. I just want to say this isn't the first time we've seen something like this from Travis Kelsey, but the last one looked extremely intentional. This one looked like, uh, Taylor Swift's in the stands, and I'm going to impress my girlfriend that's here and chunk this bitch to the left side. But if it doesn't work, you know, who knows what's going to happen to Travis Kelsey after the game. But, yeah, I mean, I'll let you take over on the recap as well because uh, I know you're covering this one. But, uh, like I said, you know, Buffalo escapes with the victory because of this penalty, 20-17. to 17. Yeah, and the a couple notes I have on this game is there is a lot of outside, out, outside noise before this game. I mean, you had Von Miller being able to play or not play. You had Sean McDermott using hijackers from 9-11 in a pregame speech. And then you had the, the playoff implications that came into this game. You know, Bill's got to keep weighing in to stay alive. Chiefs got to stay in the hunt for the first seed, you know. And then there's the classic Allen versus Mahomes that everybody's been talking about. But that's, that's kind of where this starts is like, if we remember the championship game between these two a couple of years ago, you know, this is almost exactly how this game played out. Both quarterbacks are playing really good. Allen, I think, had like – let me pull that up. Allen had, I think, 230 yards passing. But, I mean, there's a couple plays in there. That one, I think y'all were over at the house already where he was stepping back out of, uh, out of almost the – 
the out of yeah, bounds no. and just yep. tossed that thing on third and 10 and made a perfect throw. And then, you know, Mahomes was being Mahomes. He played really well. He had 271 in the air, had one interception. But I think the name of the game of this was exactly, like I said, the championship game. They, uh, the bank or the Bills had the ball. They go down and they kick a field goal with a minute 40 left. And I know that McDermott is shaking in his boots because they're standing on the sideline with a minute 40 to go. And I know he's got PTSD from that championship game. And it almost ended up that way, but that penalty cost the Chiefs the game. And then you watch, you know, Mahomes and everybody afterwards. Yeah, that's my favorite. Freaking part. out on the side or like I mean, it was just it was it was just bad. He he looked like I get being mad and all that, and like everybody's like, oh, he handled it accordingly. But he went to the midfield to Josh Allen and basically bitched in Josh Allen's yeah. face, like this is hey, exactly that was a dumb call. Like yeah, that's exactly like what he said. He said, yeah. that was the worst fucking ball I've ever seen in my entire life. Travis Kelsey was wide open. That was a fantastic play. But it's fucking bullshit. I mean, when is this stuff going to stop him for the NFL and for my kids? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, okay, Mahomes, uh, do you know how many times I've watched the game where Mahomes have, like, walked over the ref, you know, in his little petty walk? He's always walked and jogged. Yeah. Like, what the hell? You're right. Freaking weirdo. <laughs> so... You know, he's had a lot of calls go his way. But, I mean, that, like I said earlier while we were recapping that play, that was clearly offsides. His helmet's over the line. His foot is over the ball. Like, if you're a line judge and you're looking at that, you have to call that. So, like, that's that's the name of the game. If you're down on the – it's kind of like if the Eagles were down on a tush push. Like, right. and you got helmets over the line like they did against Dallas. Yeah. You have to call it. So, it's like – that's the name of the game. So that, that's something I want to, you made a good point there because on, I can't remember what show it was on, but they said that that play, when they came on NBC on Sunday night football during our halftime show, when we were spanking that ass, um, they brought in the expert or whatever. And was like, this play actually offsides has actually been called like 11 times in comparison to two times before. And then I think it was Nick Wright that said, actually, that's a fallacy. That's a, a um, inflation of a of a point there. Yes, they have, but the majority of those calls, a large majority of those calls that he's talking about, were on tush push plays, plays where, and it was called in the game versus um, Cowboys and Eagles on a tush push where an yeah. offensive lineman was offside. So that's a that's a fabricated thing, and it's just trying to protect the ass of the NFL. Why would the networks backstab them publicly? You know. But uh, seeing this game and the way it goes, I mean, Twitter came prepared. Uh, when Mahomes was yapping about all this crap, they have an entire thread out there in case any of you people are. And we're not Mahomes haters. We said on pod number one, me and the Rook and the kids said, debate with the closet door if you don't think Mahomes is the best in the NFL. And I still believe that. I'm just saying there's an entire thread of like 48 plays from I think this year alone that's on Twitter somewhere of every call that bailed out. Um, Patrick Mahomes, um, the Chiefs game, or I'm sorry, the Jets game specifically comes to mind, and I'm just like, yeah, like. But on. the last, the last one I have on this is like it, speaking on Mahomes. It's it speaks to like a team play, and that's kind of the last point I have on this is like, how much longer are the Chiefs just going to sit there and not go get a wide receiver one for Mahomes? Like, I think right. that <laughs> I think that Kelsey is good, but Kelsey's also getting older, and he's a tight end. Like, you need some outside threats that are not. You know, five eight, 
and running down the sidelines or, you know, scatling that's dropped multiple balls that would win Chiefs games that Mahomes put perfectly in his hands. And then, you know, they've had some shit calls like, you know, that should have been a PI against the Packers last week on that, on that deep ball from Mahomes. That was a great throw, but you know, Tony's cost them a couple games with some drops and now this offside penalty Scotland's cost them a couple games with him dropping the ball. I mean, they, I think they still lead the league and the league in drops right now. And it's like, you know, Kelsey can't do it all. Like Kelsey's a great tight end, like I said, but you know, he's a tight end. He's 33 years old. Yes. So, I mean, he was contemplating retirement. Yeah. This past off season, or at least there were some reports out there about him being like, I saw a quote from him this year that was like, Hey, uh, you know, like my body hurts from, I think he said 10 surgeries he's had. So, you know, it's getting to the point now for him where it's like he's probably starting to think about retirement. So, I don't know. Lucky for the Chiefs, though, there is a lot of uh, opportunity to go get a receiver in the offseason. You've got a lot of receivers that are coming up on contract years that are either, you know, a little bit older, that are still good, like Devontae Adams and uh, or like T. Higgins. He's going to come up on a contract and, you know, they're going to have to pay Jamar Chase over T. Higgins. So, yeah, absolutely. That's the name I was going to highlight. We'll, we'll move on into the Jaguars versus the Browns game. This was kind of a big one in the AFC, um, for especially for seeding. Um, but the Browns came out of this victory or came out of this game 31 to 27. Um, and man, I got to tell you, uh, I was kind of asking myself, is Flacco the, the perfect veteran replacement for the Browns? And, you know, after the game that I saw, uh, this past Sunday, yeah, yeah, I think he's perfect. I mean, you give a guy with an outstanding defense um, like the Cleveland Browns, you just put a comparable, comprehensible, you know, veteran in there to to just get the balls in the hand of hands of your playmakers. You know, good things are going to happen. And Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco isn't unaccustomed to this either. Um, he actually won, he won a Super Bowl, like we all know, with you know, as the MVP of that Super Bowl with a dominating defense and him just doing enough, uh, doing his part on offense, not turning over the football, um, being efficient, getting the balls to your, to your uh, playmakers and whatnot. This is a perfect sign. And if they went out and signed somebody like RG3, uh, you'd be sitting there down 31-16 um, to Trevor Lawrence, even if Trevor Lawrence threw three picks like he did in this game, which kind of brings me to Trevor Lawrence, who's, you know, not having a, an incredible season. Uh, we talked a lot before, even off the record, me and the kid, and I know he hasn't been on in a while, to, but he would probably, you know, want to comment on something like this. But, you know, Trevor Lawrence, man, we we talk, we hyped him up all year. How about having Ridley finally getting a number one, and they looked unstoppable week one. And just throughout the season, he's had these weird games where you're getting two-plus interceptions and less touchdowns in the game. And, you know, he got blown out by the Texans earlier in the season – um, it's just a very, I, I, I don't want to say disappointing because it's not like his stats are awful, but if, if you're really watching the games, I've watched a couple of Jaguars games. I'm just not really impressed. I'm just not the most impressed in him, but he has been a warrior this year. I think they can improve their protection, um, on the Jaguars. ETN has been a great, yeah. Um, ETN has been a great beneficiary to their offense as well. Christian Kirk, who I was, I want to say, I guess an agenda, I was right about last year. I said he's a high-end wide receiver too. He's a very serviceable guy coming into this year. It was like we're about to find out the you know the spread between a number one and a number two and why Christian Kirk wasn't very serviceable. Well, 
this year he's been way more impressive than Calvin Ridley, um, yeah. especially against man coverage. And the last thing I'll say is, was uh, Evan Ingram and David Njoku having a tight end competition of the life of a lifetime here? I mean, yeah. look, they both had two touchdowns in this game. And you look and it was, you know, 11 receptions, 95 yards and two touchdowns for Evan Ingram. And then six receptions, 91 yards and two touchdowns for David Njoku. I mean, it's like and Evan Ingram hasn't scored all year, so it must have been personal. Uh, <laughs> some way. It's a get but, right game. Yeah, a little get right game. But hey, uh, the Bron- the Browns, they could find themselves, you know, playing some good football in the playoffs with a, a veteran that's been there before. Um, um, and I'm excited to see what they can do. And, you know, what looks good on paper is Amari Cooper had 14 targets. So, um, yeah, great win. Yeah, the only two notes I had for this game is one, I think you're a little bit right on Trevor Lawrence. I think he needs more protection. He's got the weapons, but I'll also give him the pass on this game because I think he was still dealing with that ankle. So that was one of the things I had. And then number two, I had the tight end off. Yeah, that was was crazy. I saw a stat that there was 20-something touchdowns scored this week by tight ends, and that's like the most – and this season, I think in the last this season and like in the last five years, so yeah. yeah but Evan Ingram is a great tight end. He's, he is. He's, yeah. He was even he was pretty good on the Giants too. They just had to get rid of him because of the basically the rebuild they went through. But well, also yeah. because their quarterback um, wasn't doing a good job getting Evan Ingram the ball is what it appears to be the issue over there. Because just like Darren Waller, he couldn't get Darren Waller the ball either. And Tommy but, uh, three and one as a starting quarterback over there for the New York Giants when Daniel Jones is one and five. But yeah, you know, <laughs> um, the other thing I was going to say is I think you're right with the Browns. I think they have a good chance in the playoffs. One because the AFC is filled with injured quarterbacks now. Yeah, uh, but uh, their defense is just rock solid. Their their defense is really good. Yeah, no, it's yeah. incredible. Um, all right, next game we have. Seattle. Was it Seattle versus San Francisco, right? Or is it the other? No, I, it's Bears Lions. Yeah, so Bears 28, Lions 13. This is an interesting game right here. Granted, it is divisional. You know, they're, they're both in the NFC North. But uh, the name of the game here, Jared Goff and the, and the Lions struggled against the Bears defense. I mean, won the world. Jared Goff had 20 for 35, 160 yards, a touchdown, but he threw two interceptions was sacked four times. Um, Lions only went 6-15 of 15 on third downs. Three total turnovers, Goff's two picks, like I mentioned, and then a fumble from Graham Glasgow. I don't even know who that is. But um, I think the other thing for the Lions, <clears throat> and this will – as we go down, you'll you'll kind of see where I'm going with this. Jared already knows. But the Lions' defense is a problem. I mean, yeah. they, they are not good. They are not a good defense. They played – pretty defense or pretty good defense in the beginning of the year, but these last couple, like four or five, six games, they've been getting absolutely shredded yeah. by teams. That they just have no business point, like getting shredded by. I mean, they let the saints score like 28 points on the Saints, yeah. Like we've been talking about the saints all year and how bad that offense has just been not being able to click, but um, the bears have not been able to get much going through the season. And it just, like I said, it seems like whoever the lions play right now is just cooking. So, I mean, the, the Bears, who have been notorious for horrible offense, had 340 yards of offense with no turnovers and own time of possession. Yeah. So they had the ball longer. They converted more third downs. They had 340 yards. 
against a team that's nine and three. Well, now I think nine and four. So fraud yeah. alert. Now <laughs> that's where I'm going with this fraud alert. I do think the Lions yeah. are frauds. I do. Um, I said earlier this year that they have the easiest schedule of all the top teams in the NFC. Um, when we were talking about a couple podcasts ago, we were talking about um, like we're running through who we thought the NFC leaders would be. Um, yeah. I, I literally said on the podcast that the Lions have the easiest schedule and they're going to be one of the top seats in the NFL. Yeah. Or in the NFC. Well, now that narrative has completely changed. I mean, you look at the last four games, they barely beat the Bears on a comeback win, and, win four weeks ago. That's, that's the week ago. that you said it, I believe. The week yes. that you said it, that's for the game. Yeah. They lost to the Packers. They got way up on the Saints in the first quarter. They scored 21 points in the first quarter and then lost or lost that lead and almost blew the game. And then now they've just lost to the Bears. So you're looking at four teams there. Arguably, arguably I think the Packers are kind of eating up. But you're looking at four teams there that, like, the Lions should have just gone in and taken care of business and left. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I will say that, you know, if, if, like you said, it was the easiest schedule out there. And on paper, it looked like they were just going to run through it. And, of course, you know, Thanksgiving came around and the, those games you mentioned. But if they won the games they were supposed to win, they'd be probably 11-2 and two right now with the number one seed in the NFC. Yeah. I mean, if you just give them one of the Packers or Bears games, they would be clinched right now. I'm pretty sure they'd be in the playoffs because that's one of those games is a divisional win. So yeah. they, I, they, they haven't even wrapped up their division yet. You've got like the, I mean, granted, I think they probably will, but you know, the only real threat to them is probably the Packers, but it's just wild that they have this such easy schedule and they started off so hot. And now it's like, they're just burning out. Yeah. You know, one could say it's classic lions franchise football, but then at the same time, I guess their struggles are in the regular season when the Cowboys could be in the in the playoffs. But, um, but yeah, the yeah, that's question, a brutal game. Yeah, the real question that they're going to have to answer is, is Jared Goff going to be the face of that franchise or was he a good bridge quarterback to where they feel like they can go get somebody else? Well, that's they the have somebody else. Have to... That's the thing. They have, yeah, they, they have, have Hinton Hooker, right? Yeah, and so he, he could be that next guy. We don't know. But, you know, I think right out the rest of Jared Goff's contract, by the time he'll be like 33, 34 years old, I'll just be like a, a rental bridge quarterback for some other team. Um, possibly go back to the Rams. No. Uh, but yeah, you know, Hendon Hooker could be the answer over there. Um, you'd have to ask a Lions fan. I haven't heard much news about Hendon Hooker since the end of the league. Um, but yeah, I mean, moving on into the San Francisco versus the Seattle game. Uh, San Francisco comes out of this game 28 to 16. Honestly, throughout this game, I thought I was highly impressed with Drew Locke's play. Uh, I, there aren't many quarterbacks that put up those kinds of numbers against the San Francisco 49ers, although they only scored 16 points. I mean, he came out that first half kind of firing. I mean, why not? I mean, you haven't played in a while. The narrative against you is that you haven't wrote, written back yet, and he comes back in here and, you know, he puts on a great, a great show at least to keep it close with San Francisco and – um, you know, yeah, kind I, of fizzled out in the second half, though. Yeah, I mean, completely stalled in the second half, and I think that was just kind of like your your typical halftime <clears> adjustments <throat> to the quarterback you didn't really prepare for, um, because Drew Locke had his first practice on Friday, um, leading into the Sunday's game, so we really didn't have much time to game plan. You're probably game planning for Geno Smith, 
Um, so maybe that's why that first half was kind of wacky. Um, but, you know, I will say, you know, going into this this game, Debo Samuel uh, shattered the script, if you will, on, you know, his ability to make plays down the field. And this is the first time in four seasons we've been able to see it. Um, but he did a fantastic job. He had a fantastic game. And since he's came back from his injuries, I think he's averaging over over 15 or 16, you know, PPR points a game. Um, and he's won some people some um, playoff berth spots in fantasy football. And I tell you what, I you want to say him or Trent Williams, either of them missing, causing the woes for, for Brock Purdy, I would have to argue it's probably closer to Debo. I don't know why, but when he's in that game, you have fresh legs as a running back and utility <laughs> player. And, you know, you have a threat at the line of scrimmage that can get you 25-plus yards just by catching it at the line. Um, and that's a great valuable asset to have. He's just uh, but, a hidden weapon, and with what everything they've got with between Ayuk, Kittle, and McCaffrey, I mean somebody's going to have to guard Devo, and it's kind of like a pick your poison. So yeah, exactly. And every 49ers player has their own role that they do completely different than the other role of the mm-hmm. other players next to them. I mean, Kittle has his deal where he's blocking down as that six down lineman chipping, and then finding you know, that option route in the middle of the field. And, you know, I use that uh, gash route runner on the outside that, you know, might deserve more targets uh, to quote a friend of mine, but, you know, at the same time, that's not their scheme. It's just, but, you know, I will say, you know, this, this team here, I wanted to put this out there because I, I Purdy's in that MVP conversation and I just, I, I can't stand it because, and it's not because I don't like Brock Purdy. It's because, he is not the engine that makes that offense run. Um, it has always been interchangeable with whoever you put at quarterback um, that they're going to win games when they're healthy because they have yeah. an arsenal um, of an Armageddon um, type of roster where it's just like doomsday when you walk in. Um, and, you know, it's, if Sam Darnold was a quarterback, if Cooper Rush was a quarterback, you'd have the same kind of team. You're riding on that defense and you're working the scheme. And I think that's credit to Kyle Shanahan. It always has. I feel like a, I sound like a broken record talking about that sort of stuff. But for them to say, you know, I don't care what they say about Brock Purdy. I've watched his games, and I know where he's throwing the ball. I know what his passing charts look like, regardless of, you know, those sporadic um, outbursts that are in there. You're like, well, what about this? We're like, well, the majority of the time he's throwing at the line of scrimmage. The engine of that offense is Christian McCaffrey, and the engine of the team is that defense, in my opinion. So. Um, yeah, I mean, great win for 49ers is what we expected. We weren't shocked, but just because it has major playoff implications and that Seattle has dropped every single game of its gauntlet so far leading into a Philadelphia game who's Philadelphia is pissed off. Uh, they could very well end up missing the playoffs. Um, so we'll see. But all right, well, that wraps up our NFL week 14 recap. Um, we're going to move into our track ranking of the week with our top three Christmas movies. Of course, you got number three at gold, two, your platinum, and your highest rank is your diamond. Um, and we'll start with the analysts, and we'll just interchange through each category as we move on. But, yeah, top three Christmas movies for your ranking of the week. What's new? What's your gold ranking? All right. Well, I always include an honorable mention just because I always feel like it's necessary. That's fine. But my honorable mention is the Rudolph – the Red Nose Reindeer movie from 1965. <laughs> and then you can put like and like the slash. Any of those old movies. I mean, when you grew up, we were all watching these on 
these type of movies on the Hallmark Channel always. Yeah, ABC so, 25 Days of Christmas. Yep, and I mean they had all of them playing throughout throughout our childhood. But my gold ranking, and this is going to be pretty basic, but Elf. I think you always have to include Elf on a Christmas movie ranking. Um, they are. Yeah. I mean, this this is always on TV. I mean, you look at you probably could go turn on my TV right now, and it's on the TV. It's always yeah. around for Christmas. It's a funny movie, never gets old. So I'm going to go with my gold ranking of Elf. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's, that's, you're probably completely correct. Like if I turn, we turn on our TVs right now and looked on you on our service provider, it's like elf right there. And then the movie after it, elf, you know, it's like, yeah. gosh. Um, all right. Yes, a rerun. Exactly. My gold is actually a trilogy. It's the, it's the Santa Claus trilogy. The one I almost had that one. It's the one with Tim Allen. I thought I'd do it justice because I probably watch it every year. Um, the, Tim Allen's an underrated actor who's got a great sense of humor. Um, but you rewatch his movies now and you're like, man, I used to thought these movies were not cheesy one bit. And, you know, you see Bernard running around, whatever the hell that little else name is. And you're just like, Ugh, like what is going on here? Um, but, you know, what a great trilogy there. I believe they just made a new one um, on Disney plus. I haven't, I think I watched it at my office or something like that, but um, yeah. So that's mine. That Santa Claus is by uh uh, with Tim Allen starring. Um, all right, and then your your diamond. All right, hold on. I was trying to see if it was actually on my TV, and it's not. It, it airs tomorrow. So <laughs> yeah. All right. My, you mean my platinum, right? Yeah. Sorry, uh, platinum. My platinum, uh, Jared's. Me and Jared, I, I already know it. We're probably gonna have a pretty close list here, but my platinum is Polar Express. Um, <laughs> Partially because me and my family have always watched this movie. One, when we were kids, there's so many quotes that we throw out that are inside jokes from it that we still laugh at yeah. today. But also only because like when me and Jared, when our family would put up our Christmas tree come around December 1st, 2nd, right after Thanksgiving, we would always pop the CD in of Polar Express. And, uh, you know, as we were putting up our tree, we'd watch it as a family. So a little bit of sentimental value for me from – this movie, but it's also a great movie. It never gets old. Yeah. You know, every Christmas we still watch it. So me and uh, my wife actually kept that tradition alive as we put up our tree this year. So Hell it yeah. kind of runs through the family. So Polar Express is my platinum. Jared, what do you got for platinum? Yeah, you, you took the words right out of my mouth, actually. Uh, that that was my platinum as well, is the Polar Express. Um, it, it never gets old. You know, it's, you know, we, uh, like you said, we have that tradition. You're putting up um, all your ornaments and stuff on the tree. And we actually had this cool tradition where every year, especially when we were younger, we would try and find an NFL player um, ornament. Um, I mistakenly got Ben Roethlisberger during his uh, lawsuit. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we've got LaDainian Tomlinson ornaments. We've got Michael Strahan ornaments. We've got Tony Romo, Jason Witten. I mean, you name it, we were always grabbing these NFL yeah. players. Somehow, um, some way, Eli Manning ended up on our, on our freaking yeah. – Christmas yeah. tree. I always look at it when somebody pulls out of the box, and I'm like, disgusting. Yeah, you just <laughs> who got like, that? Who the, who the hell? Yeah, his arm's broken. Oh, wouldn't you know it? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and you know, the one that always gets me excited was is the Ladanian Thomason one because I'm pretty sure all three of us have it. Yeah. Um, and the LT that that boy was. It's a cool looking ornament too. Um, but yeah, I mean. Just you know, the all aboard, you know him, his his uh, 
robe getting torn on the bottom of it. The 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 what's it called? The puppet scene uh, used to creep me out as a kid. Uh, like just the you're at Scrooge, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> God. but great movie. Um, even though it's made by a pedophile. But uh, <laughs> all right, your diamond ring. Well, uh, I'm sure this isn't going to fall for, far from your list again. But my diamond ranking is the Muppets Christmas Carol. And that is also because it is sentimental to my family. Every Christmas Eve, we watch two versions, either one of the two versions of the Christmas Carol. We either watch uh, Carrie's version, A Christmas Carol from from Disney, or we watch Muppets Christmas Carol. And like Jared said on the uh, last last, uh, podcast we did, it is a – they do the great job on the Muppets Christmas Carol. I mean, they, they tell the, they, they do a great job of telling the story. They make it kind of funny. I mean, it's it's good. So there's there's a lot of comedy, but it's like you know you're getting you're still getting the Christmas Carol story in this movie. And uh, like I like Jared said, they make a hell of a production on the musical too. I mean, it's yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's well done. It's very well done. So. Yeah, yeah, and Bob Cratchit. I mean, you got to. Where's Kermit's Oscar? That's what I want. <laughs> I mean, that that dude killed it as Bob Cratchit. Um, you know, I, I was very proud of, of of Kermit in that movie. He did a fantastic job. Mine is actually the Jim Carrey's version of the Christmas Carol as my diamond, um, just because we quote from that movie more than probably other uh, any other Christmas movie, and it's. Because of Jim Carrey. I mean, that dude plays the role perfectly. Um, And I think Tiny Tim always, always gets me because, (laughs) you know, I want to make fun of the little bit, the little bastard so bad, just walking down that street. And uh, he's like, the bastard down the school. And he's like, you're just like, yeah, whatever, kid, sit down and, you know, this poor ass meal that we got for Bob. Bob Crabbe has been working. 80 hours a week, and they're here bitching about we can't get bread or not. <laughs> 80 yeah. hours a week at the accounting job with yeah. no call. With no call, and he's and he's freezing his ass off. And then uh, just Jim Carrey, like we always the, like the uh, the jokes we always make where we bugger it. Um, so he, he's a it's a fantastic movie, but I cannot leave this ranking without the vibranium work. Uh, vibranium ranking. And my vibranium ranking is the Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> it's in there. Uh, just there's love is in the air. You know, just that <laughs> Kermit's Kermit's performance in there needs an Oscar, like I was mentioning before. And it's a beautiful story. Um, Charles Dickens does a great job. Um, and I couldn't be more excited for Christmas coming up to turn that on with a, a nice whiskey drink around the fire and being around family. You know, God, family, and football. That's what we care about. And the Muppets, for fuck's sake. But, um, yeah, so ex- excellent rankings there. Um, and let's move into our predictions. Well, Week hold on. I almost, I, almost, uh, oh. in, I almost put in Die Hard because everybody <laughs> argues that's not a Christmas movie. But that is a Christmas movie. And, in fact, it is a great movie. So, yeah. Die Hard I, is – I almost uh, put that in there as a joke. Yeah, I almost did that just to make this controversial statement. So thank you. That's, is that your vibranium? <laughs> no, it's not better than the, than the Muppets Christmas Carol. Like I said, hell of a production. Hell of a production. Deserves an Oscar. Um, okay. Week 15 predictions. 
Um, let's start off with our first one, which is going to be um, – sorry, I'm all over the place. It was our Sunday night football game, the Ravens versus the Jaguars. Um, obviously, the Ravens are 10-3, and three and the Jaguars just came off that L going 8-5. and five. Jaguars are hungry. Um, let's start off with the analysts. What is your prediction for this game? I'll make mine short and sweet. I think the Jags are going to struggle against the Ravens' defense. I think the Ravens have one of, if not the best, defense in the league. And uh, kind of what Jerry was talking about earlier about Trevor Lawrence, he's had some struggles. And I'm just not sure if he's healthy right now, and that's not good um, for any quarterback, but especially the Jaguars in a tight playoff race with the, the Texans. Luckily, the Texans lost as well last week to the Jets. So, I mean, it's still neck and neck. And you kind of have the Colts in in the back of their heads as well. So this is almost like a must win for the for the Jags. But um, I'm afraid they're not going to get it done. The Jags defense has been shaky, so I think uh, Lamar has another really good game. And I think the final score is uh, I'm going to say 31-21 Ravens. I think you know Jags will find a way to score a little bit, but the Ravens are are going to are going to manhandle them. So I'm going to go Ravens yeah. 31, Jags 21. Yeah, and I think this Jaguars team struggles when um, ETN can't get anything going on the ground and you're facing a, a Ravens defense who has done a phenomenal job protecting the run um, outside of the Rams last week with Kyron Williams. But, you know, he did that on 25 carries, and, you know, we'll see if they want to give ETN that much attention. Uh, we're not sure how healthy Trevor Lawrence is going to be. For this game, I'm assuming he'll be much better than he was this this week. But, you know, going into this game, I, I think the Ravens come out of this one as as victors. And the last thing that the Ravens want to do is drop this game because I believe they're playing San Francisco the weekend after uh, the following week. So I've got the Ravens um, 28 to 23 um, beating the Jaguars. Um, so we'll move in. Let's move to our next game um, the Monday night football game. Now, this is a big one. This is the. The finalization of, you know, the, the Philadelphia Eagles gauntlet, but more importantly, the Seahawks gauntlet, uh, you know, we don't really want to – they're not a winning team anymore, but the Seahawks have played some very, very tough opponents their past four weeks, and this is the last of their of their tough games, uh, like I think, for the rest of the season because they've already played San Francisco twice. Um, but, yeah, 10-3 and three Eagles versus the 6-7 Seahawks. What I have for this game is that I think the Eagles come into this game pissed. I, I think they come in like a uh, like a lightning rod. I don't believe that they're, they're, they're going to drop another game this season. They've got a pretty breezy schedule. Not to say that this game is not going to be close. I think it's going to be a, a very similar to the Dallas versus Seattle game. I've got the Eagles winning this one 37-31 to 31, um, in a back-and-forth battle. I think Metcalf gets involved. I think they're going to attack that secondary um, I don't see somewhat too much success in the ground for the for the Seahawks running backs, but I do expect Sirianni to come to this game and run the football. Um, so expect some high production from Hertz um, as well as from DeAndre Swift. But yeah, thirty-seven to thirty-one Eagles for this game. Well, I don't really have much to add to that. You, I felt like you just read my notes. Um, <laughs> the only thing different that I have here is that the Eagles are going to score. 38 and the Seahawks are going to score 24. So, huh. I mean, I, I can't agree more. Um, I, I think the Eagles are pissed off. Um, I think they're kind of looking for a break here. I think they see a good opportunity with the Seahawks. And, a get right game. Yeah, kind of like a get right game, but, you know, 
I think the Eagles take care of business against the Seahawks. I kind of think the Seahawks are kind of they're kind of fluttering away. You know, they they had a good chance, they had a good start. Now they're kind of being figured out. You know, earlier in the year we had them, or at least I had them a couple times uh, in the lower part of my top ten teams. But now you know they they they're playing a real gauntlet of the schedule, and I think they're kind of looking at themselves like we got a good team, but we know who they know, are. Okay. Yeah, we know who they are, and we kind of – they kind of need a new quarterback. You know, like Jano Smith has kind of regressed back to where he was, and now, you know, now they're kind of reeling. So they have a chance to make the playoffs, but, you know, with the Packers and the Rams being around, I kind of – I don't know. I don't really see them making it. The Packers yeah. and the Rams, to me, are a better team than the Seahawks. So I think it would have been a lot clearer of an image if the Packers pulled out a win on Monday Night Football, which was – Yeah, um, yeah, that's a very good yeah. point. Not good for them, but I still think that the the remainder of their schedule they can escape and maybe make the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I wanted to like go to this last Saturday Saturday night football game and then circle back with um, kind of a funny question because of the slate that they have for the Saturday games. I thought it was hilarious. Um, but the Saturday night football game is the Broncos at seven and six versus the nine and four Lions. This is a big game because I'm not fully confident that the Lions can come out of this game alive the way that they've been playing, the way their defense has been playing. Um, the Broncos are one game away from catching up to the Chiefs, which sounds crazy. Obviously, yeah. I don't think they're gonna they're going to catch up, but you know, this is a game that the Broncos could screw around and win this game. Um, so I'm actually gonna go with them in this game. And I might sound crazy. I am too. Yeah, I've got the Broncos in a in a low scoring affair uh, per usual with the Broncos when they when the, against these winning opponents, um, twenty two to seventeen, um, and I think Russell Wilson leads a late drive and gets in the end zone with Cortland Sutton to get them ahead by five points, and then the the Lions don't have the timeouts to to combat it. Um, so yeah, twenty two to seventeen Broncos. They move to eight and six, and the Lions drop their second or third straight. Yeah, I mean, I've got uh, relatively the same thing. I do think the Broncos are going to come out, and but I kind of think they'll manhandle the Lions. Broncos are kind of Broncos are kind of getting a, a like a gritty football team. Their defense is playing really well. You know, they got PS two out there, and then they've got a pretty good defensive line. So I mean, they they've been able to handle. You know, they've handled the Chiefs. They've played got a lot of games close. You know, they started off horribly, but now they're kind of back in the swing of things of like, hey, we've got a real shot to win the division here. So, um, yeah, I think, like I said earlier, the Lions are, are frauds. You know, there's no other way to put that. I kind of think they they get uh, Jared Goff, and I think the Broncos win this game, honestly, pretty handily. I'm going to say 24 to 10 Broncos. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's just strange to me because – I mean, after that, I, I personally don't think the, the Lions will drop another one. I think they'll finish 11 and 6, but people will start freaking out, you know, being you look oh at their God. schedule. Like, oh my God, they're 9 and 5. I know it's like the Green Bay Packers twice. Uh, no, the Vikings twice. Um, and then the Packers again. And there's one more game in there somewhere. Yeah, here you go. So they've got, they're going to play Denver Saturday. And then uh, Christmas Eve, they play Minnesota. Then they play us, which I think we we beat them pretty handily and then they play Minnesota again. So I could see them finishing the season at 11 and seven. I mean, they, I think they could beat the Vikings. Those two wins will come out of the Vikings games. And then I do think they lose Denver 
and then they have to play us at home. And I mean, y'all been hearing this on this podcast. Dallas at home is a juggernaut. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a pretty, and that's fair for this team. It's not like this team is actually an a, a eleven and two team. I don't think the other. Yeah. Belgium, you know, I, I, this sounds crazy to me. With, but they are a good football team. But um, when they play good teams, even the bad ones, they've been mysteriously dropping it because their defense is fraudulent. Um, yeah. But get a load of this. I thought this was crazy. This is the Saturday slate for this upcoming week. You've got the Minnesota Vikings versus the Cincinnati Bengals. That's backup quarterback Nick Mullins versus backup quarterback Jake Browning. Then moving into the Saturday afternoon game, you've got the Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Indianapolis Colts. That's backup (laughs) quarterback Mitchell Trubisky versus backup quarterback Gardner Minshew. I mean – I want to know. So one, that's crazy. You have an entire slate, a day of football filled with backup quarterbacks. So enjoy your Saturday by watching all of the QB twos for your franchises combat each other. But I want to know, out of Jake Browning, Gardner Minshew, Nick Mullins, and Mitchell Trubisky, <laughs> which out of those four do you think impresses you the most in this Saturday slay uh, slate? You know, it's just all – obviously, there's a better answer than most. Mitchell Trubisky is going to be at the bottom of that barrel. Nick Mullins is going to be at the bottom of that barrel. But Jake Browning and Minshew have kind of done their jobs as backups. Um, Which which one would you take over those two, Jake Browning and Gardner Minshew? Well, I think my my two-minute drill kind of gave it away. Um, I'd go Jake Browning. The last two games, like I said in my two-minute drill, he's been an absolute dog for the Bengals, and he's kept them – and playoff contention. But you can also argue the same thing for Gardner Minshew. I mean, he's doing his job. It just may, really makes you wonder where the Colts would be if they had or AR-15 right now. You know, he, yeah. that would I would love to see the Colts next year if they can keep everybody together, you know. But also that also speaks to the Colts' as, uh, the Colts head coach. I mean, he's been Shane, real yeah. strong. I, yeah. I forget his name right now. Steichen? He's, Shane Steichen? Yes, yeah, Shane Steichen. He's been really good. But um, out of those quarterbacks, I'm taking Jake Browning, man. He's been he's been a baller. Now, I will say, you know, with Gardner Minshew, you know, he's gone through this game, obviously, with the um, Anthony Richardson injury to start the year, a first-year coach, uh, the loss of uh, Shaq Leonard, the loss of Stephon Gilmore coming into this game. Their owner yeah. tried to sell a, a dolphin or translate or transport a, a whale somewhere. Uh, Jonathan Taylor's been in and out of injuries. Well, yeah, um, now he's hurt again. Now he's starting again, and you've got the Colts sitting at seven and five or seven and six, whatever they may be right now, um, tied with the Houston Texans, who have had their stud, uh, quote unquote, uh, quote unquote, CJ Stroud MVP candidate. Um, and you're just, you're like, wow, that's impressive. But then you go into Jake Browning's scenario, who arguably has a much easier setup. Than, than Gardner Minshew, but in my opinion, has been more impressive than Gardner Minshew. I think Jake Browning has looked very – I mean, after that first W that he had, he walked to midfield with a stone-cold face on. I was like, this dude's not worried about it at all. But he's got T. Higgins, Jamar Jamar Chase, you know you know the roster, uh, Joe Mixon, um, and, of course, Zach Taylor with the top 15-ish defense. So he's getting the job done. Maybe he gets into the playoffs um, – you know, I don't think the Steelers have any momentum right now, but I really don't give a shit about any of those game predictions. But I just wanted to <laughs> highlight the entire day is filled with backup quarterbacks, which I think. Here, is get this: hilarious. the Colts 
are seven and six. They're two and four at home, five and two away, and they have a negative sixteen point differential. Speaking and they beat this, the Ravens. And yes. they beat the Ravens. And on top of that, this AFC playoff picture is a mess. Is an absolute mess from yeah. from third seed, which is you have a third, fourth, and fifth seed, which is the Chiefs, Jags, and the Browns at eight and five, and then every single one underneath that, the Bills are seven and six. This is going from eleven out of sixteen teams. The Bills are seven and six. The Bengals are seven and six. The Broncos are seven and six. The Texans are seven and six. The Colts are seven and six. The Steelers are seven and six. So you have five or six teams that are all in an absolute battle just to make the playoffs right now. Yeah. And I believe on the other side of things, you've got in the NFC, you got a bunch of teams that are six and seven. Um, and let me look at that right quick because um, let me see. Let me see. Division, NFC. Yeah. We've got Green Bay at six and seven. You've got Tampa Bay, Atlanta, and New Orleans at six and seven. Los Angeles and Seattle at six and seven. So you have one, two, three, five, six, six teams at six and seven. <laughs> it's, it's a tight race, but yeah, it's um, a wild. I mean, the wild card spots, and what's nice is they extended it. You know, a couple of years ago, the wild card spots are kind of. They're in a race <laughs> for both yeah. sides. So Yeah. And I will admit, you know, the NFC is a lot shittier of a of a sixth and seventh seed for sure. I mean, like that yeah. those teams are pretty dog water. But all right, moving on into our the main part of the of the podcast, and that is your Sunday night football tracking the boys recap here. Um Sunday night football on NBC. We got the Dallas Cowboys winning this game 33 to the Philadelphia Eagles. 13 at AT&T Stadium. Sweet, sweet victory. Spoken that, that beautiful game. <laughs> beautiful game. A masterpiece and a masterpiece from Dak Prescott. Um, and a, a even more of a masterpiece by the Dallas Cowboys defense. Um, and we'll touch into those offensive and de- defensive recaps. Um, I'll, I'll begin us off with the offensive recap. Uh, because I, what I, I like to do is you know, I don't want to steal every point, but I try and find the ones that you know that might be out of the out of the, might be blooming, but maybe not noticeable. That flower underneath the bigger flower. Um, I'm going to say that, but I might say something extremely obvious. But in my recap for this offense production is, I think it was a perfectly schemed first half from the play callers. Um, Schottenheimer, Dag McCarthy did a fantastic job in that first half. Um, they controlled the time of possession. They established the ground game early on. It looked fantastic with the combination of Dowdle and Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard was getting outside the box. Uh, Dowdle was that gash back up the middle, getting 12 carries in this game, which is kind of exactly the area that I wanted them in. Um, and then they converted in the red zone. That was all in the first half. And then Ferguson was involved. And again, this baby Kelsey agenda, I'm just I'm I'm glazing over it right now because he told somebody, I think, before the game that he was going to hurdle a player. And uh, little did he, little did we know he was actually going to hurdle another player in this game, um, which I think was a result of the run game. I think our run game was effective enough that we were able to focus on Ferguson, even though they may have had him kind of under control because he was such a focal point in the first matchup with them. Um, and then – I will say one more thing, and I'll leave the rest up for, for you, is the, the one turnover from Prescott, which resulted 
and the only Philadelphia offensive touchdown. I think they completely exposed this Philadelphia Eagles sloppy play um, against the grain of the refs. I mean, the refs were in there. The, we all saw the stat on Twitter, or most people did, that those refs that refereed that game were 7-0. and or The Eagles were 7-0 and when they had those refs, and they averaged only six penalties. Well, the penalties were very even. I thought the, the Eagles looked very sloppy. The only call I disagreed with was the ticky-tack defensive pass interference comboed with the face mask. I thought that it wasn't a defensive pass interference, but I thought it was for sure a face mask, which you got to call it. definitely a face mask. It's yeah. definitely a face mask. So all that, all these bailout calls, you played sloppy. Philadelphia played like shit, I will admit. I mean, they looked terrible. Um, but I know you have a comment you probably want to make, and I'll let you – present it whenever you want, but we talked about it in the Twitter group chat about that turnover, that fumble from Prescott and what he saw on that play. Um, but I wanted to save that for you. Cause I know you probably wanted to saw it. I'm pretty sure you were the one that sent it in the Twitter group chat, but yeah, I wasn't, but I do know. I, I didn't see yeah. the play. I, I was busy at work today, but um, I'm, I'll just read off my notes. Jared kind of tried to say that he wasn't going to read them off, but he literally read some of my points, but for the offense, First off, <clears throat> completely out-schemed and out-coached the Philadelphia Eagles, which was great to see because I hate Nick Sirianni. I think he's a joke. You know, they act like they're the big bad boys of the NFC, that they're just fake tough guys. And, you know, they got completely out-schemed and out-coached by Dallas. And mind you, this should have been the second game we beat them. Lost to a game of inches, you know, at their place, yada, yada. Yeah, we lost. But this game that we're talking about here – um, credit to the coaching staff, man. I mean, they like Jared said, they they came out and they they came out in the first half ready to ball, and that's exactly yeah. what Dallas did. And they got everybody involved. Ferg uh, led the team in receiving. Lamb right behind him with seven yards and a touchdown. Cooks with a bunch like just a bunch of opening of seams. Like he's been a he's become a great asset to Lamb. And you know, if you watch the all twenty twos and you watch the schemes, like. Cooks is setting up Lamb for a lot of stuff, but he's also getting his targets as well. And then finally, you saw Gallup make a play, which was nice, even though I have my mixed feelings about him. And then, like Jared said, I love seeing them getting Rico Dowdle involved. He's been a nice little hidden gem for Dallas. Um, yeah. He's been our up-to-middle guy, and he's been really good at getting three or four yards of carry. And, you know, it's really been helping Pollard on the outside. So, um, got the run game going early, which clearly helped Dak out um, during the game. And the other thing I have to say is the offensive line looked the best they have all season. And there was not a better time for them to play a great game versus that nasty front seven Eagles have. I mean, they they basically took Jalen Carter and uh, Davis to the to woodshed. The wood. Yeah, I mean, they were not they were not effective at all. Um, the only time Dak got pressured really was that strip sack that Jared mentioned. Um, yeah, I mean, I said last week the way Dallas would achieve a good offensive game is by spreading out this front seven and making them beat you with it, their secondary. And that, I mean, you'll see Dak's passing chart here in a second, but everything was short and sweet to the outside, get, you, get your playmakers the ball and let them make plays. And, I mean, that's what you saw Ferb do with the hurdle. Land made a couple good plays. I mean, they, they were making – they were playing ball yesterday, and, or, I mean, Sunday, and that was beautiful to see. So that's yeah. my points for the offense. And, you know, just a great all-around offensive game from, from Dallas. And they, they, you know, 
that's that's what you're looking for. We've been saying since the beginning of the season, you know, we want to see them open up the playbook. And I keep saying it. I have this comment week after week, but I mean, they are opening that playbook to the yeah. best of their ability to get their playmakers the ball. And that's been that's been a major complaint with Dallas the last two seasons, three seasons is like, why are we not just force feeding lamb? And now that we are, you know, we're seeing the benefit of just getting our playmakers ball because it, it opens everything else up. And I mean, that's exactly. just very evident. Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, we, our frustrations last year and then those last two, three years, was like, why aren't we getting the ball to our playmakers? Why yeah. are we forcing Gallup to get the ball when we know for a fact that he's washed, he's not the same player that he used to be. Yeah, However, get separation. You know, yeah. However, and I will say the throw made made him open, but we'll get into it later <laughs> in the podcast me. on that massive, you know, 35 plus yard throw um, from Dak Prescott. Um, but also on that strip sack, you know, like what we were talking about earlier, there was a play cooking up, if you will, not to be punny, but a play cooking up where we had a backside, basically wheel route. Cooks was wide open. And Dak had had seen him. He just had a split second longer um, on the film. It was it was there. Uh, so, but you know, nonetheless, Dak played an excellent game. But you know, let's move on to the defensive analysis, and I'll let you open up with you know the defense, and and I'll kind of be short and sweet. But I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna have everything you need to say about this defense because it was spectacular. Um, but what were your thoughts on the defense in this game? You know, only allowing six points of uh, offensive points. Yeah, and I'll and I'll quote exactly what I said last week. You know, my mama's don't learn your cowboys was defense has got to play discipline. This RPO shit, you know, they they struggle with it. And I think that showed in a big way how well they've played. And I think the star of the night for Dallas on defense was Stefan Gilmore. Yeah. I mean, he Absolutely. played a great game, a great game against AJ Brown. He locked him down. Um you know, he gave up some underneath stuff later in the game that kind of inflated A.J. Brown's numbers. But for the most part, I mean, A.J. Brown was a non-factor in when it mattered. And, you know, he took – you know, A.J. Brown went after him before the game and called him old. And Gilmore was like, all right, so Gilmore at 33 is still playing great. You know, the loss of Trayvon Diggs hurts. But, you know, he we've been able to – Bland has stepped up a big time, but Gilmore is just – he's so technical, man. He plays great technical football as a cornerback, which is arguably one of the hardest positions to play in the NFL. And he he locked down A.J. Brown. He looked really good. So that, yeah. I was really concerned on how the defense was going to play. But like I said, they needed to play disciplined, and it really showed up. Um, my next point I have is the D-line. Um, not a lot of stats to show. But the D-line was there all night. In the run game, Osa Digizawa had a lot of um, very, really, really good pressures and, you know, really disrupted the run game. And then Michael Parsons, per usual, man, he's an animal. So, Bullying Lane Johnson. <laughs> yes. The next thing I have, um, the turnovers are back. Three fumbles on the Eagle side, and they were, like, forceful fumbles too. You know, that yeah. one from Devontae Smith. I'm pretty sure it was Malik Hooker or Donovan Wilson. I can't remember. Uh, you know, they got their hand in there and punched that ball out, um, making the tackle, and that basically sealed the game right there. So 
like I said, you know, Dallas is going to have to play disciplined football. And they were, you know, they kind of got in their groove and they were ball hawking. So that's that's great to see from Dallas. And that's, you know, they're going to have to do it again. Um, I think they play Sunday at three against yeah, the Bills. And it's it's going to be a tough one. But, you know, if the, if the defense can play like that and just play complimentary football, man, yeah, that just makes Dallas – so hard unbeatable. Beat. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to beat, man. They, they, you know, when the defense is clicking, you know, they, they look like a totally different football team. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. All good points. And um, yeah, that's basically what I had. I mean, I, I, no offensive touchdowns. I mean, that's impressive. Uh, no matter. That's yeah. a very hard game to lose, especially with the offensive arsenal that we, we come to every Sunday with, with Dak Prescott behind the helm being that engine. Um, you know, and like you mentioned, the three tar- turnovers forced in plus territory, you know, and, and it was their three studs, A.J. Brown, Devontae, and Hurts. And, you know, limiting to DeAndre Swift to 11 carries for 39 yards. I mean, shit, sucked for my fantasy team, but, you know, whatever. Like, I'm I'm down with it. Once the game starts, screw your fantasy team and screw your parlays. Cowboys dub. That's my philosophy. But, yeah, I, I was very impressed that the sack that Parsons had in this game was against Lane Johnson and he pile drived him into Jalen Hurts and then went through Lane Johnson and tackled Jalen Hurts. I mean, I was like, wow, like this, this is stuff that doesn't get talked about because all game long, you could see him forcing pressure. Um, Lane Johnson was even false starting in multiple, multiple uh, plays. And it drives me insane because nobody does as obvious as him. I think the Eagles get away with a lot of, uh, in between the lines, start stuff or kind of stuff, and we got out of this game with just one tush push, and I can live with that. I can live with one harmless third and one tush push, um, and and then you get out of there alive. But yeah, yeah, like you mentioned, Stephon Gilmore, absolutely defensive player of the game. He played incredible. Um, that fourth down stop was a, was unbelievable, um, especially it was in zero coverage, man down. Um, the run after the catch was limited, and then of course he. Was, he was chirping at AJ all night, and he was backing it up. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll go into move on into our Dak on track segment here, and that wraps up you know our uh, our, our coverage of the recap of last week. Um, and let me uh, bring it up here, but this is a pretty good chart. It's a little different chart than what we've seen the past four weeks, obviously. But this is what we said was going to happen once we enter the gauntlet. Is you'll see a lot more of this kind of football. Um, you know, really complimenting uh, or kind of contradicting off what that opposing defense do, because these are all going to be playoff teams who we're going to be playing for the most part. I mean, unless Buffalo just decides to blow it, but this isn't a bad chart. I mean, a lot of, again, lots of green dots. We have a couple of down the middle of the field. We have a lot, like you mentioned, Brian, towards the edges, um, mm-hmm. you know, at or around the line of scrimmage, you know, really playing those outs of spreading them out, getting those. I think a lot of those were screen passes, swing passes and stuff, you know, uh, and they worked. They did a great job. Um, we, did, had some, we made some great play calls here, but, you know, great numbers here. No turnovers, uh, even though the, the CPOE was negative. But here's the stat line if you're listening. 24 completions out of 39 attempts, 271 yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Uh, but, yeah, what is your analysis on the chart and your, uh, your letter grade? And I'll follow it up. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what I was saying earlier about, you know, how Dallas schemed this game is exactly what I said. You know, they had to spread out that front seven and the way they did that is that's why there's so many at the line of scrimmage is they were getting their playmakers the ball and saying, hey, um, 
make the defensive backs beat you. And that's how people have been beating the Eagles. I mean, they, I mean, if you look at how the 49ers did it, you know, Devo had a crazy game. Well, like we mentioned, you know, a lot of those were close or behind the line of scrimmage. So, you know, Dak, that's why Dak's passing chart looks like this. And then he has a couple of deep bombs in there. But, you know, in terms of a uh, letter grade, I have to give him an A+. Plus. I mean, he took care of business at home. And in a divisional game, he couldn't have played any better. Besides the strip sack where he was trying to look for that deep ball, you know, he couldn't have played any better. Third down, he was, like I've been saying, third down king. He is, yeah. he is just a great quarterback on third down. And that's, I mean, it really showed this game too. So very solid, very solid performance from Dak. Yeah, and I want to compliment your confidence in Dak because obviously we were all together uh, watching this game at your house, which thank you for hosting. We made some incredible wings on the Traeger. Um, but, you know, we're sitting there and every third down, you look directly at me <laughs> like that Shrek meme and smile. And you're like, what the hell are you worried for? Like, yeah, I'm <laughs> telling you. don't you know who he is? You know, like, and he is the third down king and absolutely. And I wish I had as the high as a grade as you. But I, mine's a little bit lower. It's an A minus, um, you know, and it's honestly because after I looked at the chart, I was like, ah, I wish I could have seen a little bit more. But really, this isn't a bad grade at all. I'm, I like to put a number on things. I like a 92.9. That's the way I envisioned it when I thought of his play. I said 92.9 <laughs> overall, like a little quarterback grade there from myself, from the Rook. Um, you know, the reason for that is, you know, he played an incredible first half, uh, but I, the offense stalled in the second half and it started to worry me. But when it counted, Dak made the plays. He avoided the pressure. He utilized his weapons and committed zero turnovers, you know, through the air besides that one um, uh, fumble, which uh, was just pretty unfortunate, honestly. I, I really didn't think it was it's a fumble. You know, we haven't seen a Dak Prescott fumble in a long time. Yeah, um, I mean, so. it's kind of the point I made to uh, the Leo Nazis. I've been saying he's in the last like seven games. If you go look at his stats, he's like 28 touchdowns and like three turnovers. So, yeah. And I had people tell me, yeah, I had people tell me, I'm just not really impressed with what he's, you know, with that stat line because with his arsenal, I was like, what? Like, what? I had somebody tell me that 15 other quarterbacks could do what he's doing. I said, you're telling me 15 other quarterbacks can throw 28 touchdowns and three picks. Yeah, in, there's in, only in one guy man. that comes to mind that I can think of that finished a season like that, and that was Tommy Aaron Rodgers. Oh. <laughs> it was Aaron Rodgers with that 40-4 and four season he had a couple Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I mean, same, same offense. Might have been, was it the same coach? I don't know if it was. I, I, don't, I can't remember that. that. That was in that shady area where I think they got rid of McCarthy, or that was the last year. With McCarthy. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so – and. My favorite part about this, and I'll, this will conclude the Dak on track segment, and we'll move on to the Rooks looks, is that we okay, we went into went went into this game into the gauntlet, and people said, "Oh, y'all better be ready. Y'all about to play some real teams now, because all we've seen y'all play is some scrubs." And we were like, you know, we're going home. We should have beat the Eagles the first time. We beat the brakes off of them so bad that people are calling the Eagles frauds, and that. They weren't worth the time, and of course the Dallas Cowboys would beat them. You want to talk about shattering a script. My God. Yeah. Y'all were begging us that Jalen Hurts was the MVP of the league, 
and that they were like that. And we walked in there, should have beat them the first time. And y'all said, well, if ifs, if ifs and buts were honey nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. And we said, we told you so in this game. And they didn't even move the, the football on us. I was yeah. like, really? Now, now we went from the gauntlet to, yeah, of course, y'all beat the Eagles at home. They're frauds. They're not as good as they say they are. They've been playing poor all year, which we've said. And then y'all are going to move and play a struggling Buffalo Bills team. We're going to beat them. They're seven and seven. And then you're going to move into the Miami game, and they're going to say Miami was the Miami team was frauds this entire time. What are you talking about? And then you're going to go into the Detroit game, and they're going to say they're frauds. Like everybody we beat, we will never get the benefit of the doubt. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that the gauntlet, once it's over, will no longer be the gauntlet to the mainstream media. And best believe, right here on the Track Podcast, we'll be shattering that script every freaking week. But yeah, well, that's I, yeah, preach. that's ridiculous. It's just a classic approach yeah. for people that are Dallas haters. It's like when the, the moment that we beat a bad team, you say, "Oh, there's a bunch of scrubs," and then I mean, the minute we beat, you know, the team that's ten and two, um, they're no longer good. So I mean, I think the Eagles are a good football yeah. team. They're yeah, having their yeah. struggles. They're not as good as they were last year, but they are, in fact, uh, ten and they were ten and two. They're a contender. So, yes, they're an absolute contender. Um, all right, well, let's move it to the, the Rooks looks, and then we'll finish it off with our um, Cowboys at Bills predictions. Um, all right, so let's go with our Week 14 recap to start this one off. I had a pretty decent week, week, but I had to take one off because he wasn't able to play. It was Taysom Hill. Uh, he was questionable throughout the week, but he didn't practice, so he didn't make my Rooks looks uh, for that Sunday. But uh, regardless, I told everybody to start Rashi Rice, Kansas City, Wide receiver versus Buffalo. He ended up, ended up having 18.20 PPR points, seven receptions, 72 yards, and a touchdown. He did have a fumble loss, though, but a, a, a good game from him. I uh, told everybody to sit DK Metcalf, Seattle wide receiver versus the 49ers. He got bullied last time by Sardavis Ward. He only had two catches on five targets for 52 yards and a touchdown, but he had that touchdown, which, you know, jolted his points up to 13.2 PPR, which is usually what his projection you know, averages. So I put him in a gray area there. Um, and then I told everybody to sit Calvin Ridley, the Jacksonville wide receiver versus Cleveland. I didn't think this one made much sense with the banged up uh, Trevor Lawrence, like we mentioned earlier, but 9.30 PPR points, four out of 13 targets, 53 yards. So the volume was there, but uh, th- this is not the first time that he's had 10 plus <clears throat> targets and they were able, they weren't able to connect on at least 50% of those targets. Um then moving into the sleeper, this one's my favorite because in 2016, we we loved our running back. And I told everybody to start Ezekiel Elliott getting that primetime <laughs> starting role. New England running back versus Pittsburgh, 27.0 PPR points, 22 carries, 68 yards. All of a sudden, he's better than Michael Gallup at receiving with seven receptions, 72 yards, and a touchdown. And this is funny. If you're not familiar with free agency – acquisitional bidding in fantasy football where you have a budget and you can bid on a player that you want. I was fried in the league at four and nine and I needed a a running back and I had a lot of um, FAAB is the acronym for that. Um, I spent $75, which is a shit ton. That's more than half of your budget on Ezekiel Elliott. And people were like, what are you doing? I'm like, bro, I'm out of playoffs. I'm spending money on that motherfucker right there. And I'm putting him in my (laughs) starting lineup, which I ended up putting him on my bench um so it was all for not but it's a it's a fun troll but yeah um sleeper worked out well all right 
Week 15, start him, sit him. Start Javante Williams, Denver running back versus Detroit. We mentioned that Detroit was struggling. Javante's beginning 15-plus carries a game. Um, and I think this, this could be a big one. I think he finds the end zone here and maybe a 25-yard run. Let's hope. Um, start Derrick Henry, Tennessee running back versus Houston. A lot of people might already have Derrick Henry in their starting lineup, but he is a top-five player all time versus the Houston Texans for some strange reason. Um, he goes nuts against the AFC South. So expect a large workload. They're, they're excited after that Will Levis comeback victory. They're a one. Let's do the record for the day for you. Teams that were down 14 with less than five minutes left are 700 or zero in 767. But after last night, Will Levis made them one in seven and 600. One and 700 and 600. And I can't even say the fucking number. Seven, six, seven, one and six. Seven. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's a crazy record. Um, okay, sit Kyler Murray, Arizona quarterback versus San Francisco. I don't expect much here. This is a, a tanking team. Not sure San Francisco wants to get in the way of spoiling San Francisco or Arizona wants to get in the way of, of spoiling San Francisco, the minimal weapons. Uh, the run game will be eliminated. Uh, we just kind of prayed that Kyler Murray gets out of this game healthy. Sit Ezekiel Elliott, <laughs> New England running back versus Kansas City. I think the Chiefs are absolutely livid from their previous game. Um, and I expect zero production from the New England offense as a whole. So I don't think you're going to get a lot of production at Ezekiel Elliott. And then my sleeper of the week is David Ninjoku, uh, the Cleveland tight end versus Chicago. Flacco is a perfect veteran, like I uh, mentioned before in the podcast. And Ninjoku is a game changer when involved. So he's an absolute unit if you look at him. I mean, I think him and Odo, Odo Beckham Jr. said what's up to each other pregame. Oh, my God. I mean, Ninjoku is an absolute mammoth of a man. He's um, huge. Yeah, I mean, he's ginormous. Um, okay, that it was my Rooks Looks Startup Sidem, and it's time to get into the sheave of the week um, presented to you by Dakota Rain Prescott. And this one, I know I'm doing a lot of Dallas stuff, but um, – No, you got to. We just beat the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's the perfect <clears throat> shadow of the script narrative. And there was another one that I almost did – Thanks to the medical guy who wanted me to do it. Um, but I ended up uh, going with this one because this was just like kind of like, a, hey, put your put your little midsection on the table and say, what's up with it, though? You know, <laughs> like kind of just, hey, did you forget who I am? It's third and five. We're up by 27 or 17 points or whatever, five minutes ago. Doesn't matter. I'm still slinging this hoe. Well, so, if you look at it, this is clearly man. Yes. And what's crazy about this is the – and we'll get to it in the play-by-play, play, but <laughs> – all right, here we go. 30-13 ball game here. Philadelphia get down the 10-2 team. If they lose this game, they could tie the standings, and Dallas would actually become the second seed. But it's third and five, five minutes left in the game. They line up in, um, in a spread formation with a single backfield and the shotgun. Dak Prescott doesn't play action. He finds some pressure, gets it away. He <laughs> and a great catch by the lone gun. Michael Gallup, as he mentioned there in the podcast. But Michael Gallup with the toe-tapping grab, Dak Prescott with the incredible throw. The throw was what made him open, and that was an incredible 35-foot bomb there. I was highly impressed. I about jumped out of my seat watching that play. It was a fantastic ball. It was a fantastic catch, and it was an absolute, hey, look who's back. Shady's back. Villain mode activated, <laughs> Dak Prescott. He is your heave of the week. And now we get into our predictions. 
for week 15. The 10 and 3 Dallas Cowboys take on the 7 and 6 Buffalo Bills at Orchard Park, 325 p.m. on Fox. Ryan, what are our keys to success for this game? Uh, followed by your well, actually, keys to success. We'll do your mamas. We'll do our mamas to your Cowboys and then we'll do predictions. But keys to success. Man, I really feel like this is going to be the hardest game. Um, I agree. This is uh, this is it's going to be cold. It's going to be windy, and you know Dallas has been really good at home, but these games away, you know, they've I don't know they they haven't played a away game like this all year. Um, they did against yeah. Philadelphia, but I feel like since they play there two times a year, a lot of the guys that are on Dallas they're kind of used to playing in the bank, you know, in Philadelphia. But this game right here is going to be truly walking into enemy territory, you know. So I feel like um, for for the offense, it's going to take a couple adjustments. Maybe do the same thing that they did against Philadelphia, keep it short and sweet, and uh, try and figure out a run game. So that Bills defense is on and off. I think they're a good good defense, but I do think that Dallas can take um, advantage of them maybe in the short game and then eventually find those deep balls like Jared just did with the heat of the week later on in the game. So I'm going to look for like a disciplined strategy on the offensive side of the ball of, you know, just getting Dak in rhythm in the cold, um, you know, finding those, those seams, looking for CD lamb early and then um, just executing a solid game plan. Like, so, so I'll uh, save my defensive points, but what do you got for offense? Yeah. Uh, my key to success for the offense, um, you know, is to run outside the tackles. You know, we all, I think when we thrive our best is when we're utilizing our speed um, and, Having those, you know, reverse plays and those outside the tackle runs with Pollard, with uh, Kevontae Turpin, even even sometimes CeeDee Lamb, I think getting tricky like that, and especially in a winding environment, can really elevate your offense um, and counter the, the 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 crazy conditions of Buffalo, New York. Um, so, I think that's a big one. I think I think keep keeping Daddle inside at that thirty percent snap percentage rate. Um, could really benefit like it did against the Philadelphia Eagles. And then my fourth one, depending on the weather, you know, let Dak have control, continue to let Dak have control. Um, Fergus, Jake Ferguson, Brandon Cooks, CeeDee Lamb need to have a heavy involvement if we're going to be able to pass in this game more than not. Um, and I think the most important thing of, of the offense is to manage the time of possession. Uh, by far, I think – Keeping Josh Allen off the field is going to be um, elemental to success in this game. Um, and then my defensive keys to success, and then I'll give it back to you, is um, I limit, like I just said, limit Josh Allen to be confined inside the pocket and generate some pressure quickly. Um, of course, he's going to be able to run around a, a little bit, but uh, safeties have to play very smart over the top uh, with Gabriel Davis and Stefan Diggs. You know, there's always going to be that one or two throws from Josh Allen that are going to scare the living crap out of you. Um, and Gabriel Davis can sneak behind you sometimes. So a lot like Gallup. But, you know, Gabriel Davis and Diggs, they're going to have to be contained. Dalton Kincaid, Jamar Kurtz is going to have to step up because Kincaid is an elemental piece to this offense. Um, and yeah, right absolutely. So, but, yeah, that's my key to success on both sides of the ball. And then what, is your, what are your defensive keys to success? Well, I'm going to ask you first. Do you think they put Gilmore on Diggs, or do you think they put Bland on Diggs? Honestly, I think after the game that Gilmore just had, I think it'd be more smart to put 
um, Gilmore on Diggs. However, yeah. I really don't think they're going to care either way. I think both are going to be following um, – um, not following. I think both are going to be alternating and they're just going to line up on one side of the field. They may look at the film and go, Josh Allen throws worse to the left than he does to the right and then play it that way. Yeah. Um, they could go advanced analytics there. But um, yeah, I don't think anybody in particular is going to, going to follow Diggs. Um, but uh, if I had to guess, I would say put the veteran on him. Um, Diggs and Gilmore have probably gone up against each other quite a bit being in the AFC so, uh, but that's what I would say. What do you think? I think, yeah, that's kind of the point I was going to make is I think that I end up putting Gilmore on digs, maybe because Gilmore has seen him more. Yeah. So, you know, he's game playing against him a couple times. And then I, I think you're right. I don't think they're going to care that much if Bland ends up on him. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, my, my keys are kind of the same as the Eagles game almost. It's like if we're going to win – um, they're going to have to play disciplined football in terms of keeping Allen in the pocket and creating pressure. I think that we'll, we'll – I don't think the Bills' offensive line is great. So I do think that you'll see Parsons kind of emerge in this game a little bit more. He's used to playing in the cold, yeah. being at in-state. It's a good point. Um, so yeah. I do think that he will be um, – a little bit more active in this game. I say more active. I mean, on the stat sheet, he's always a, nobody gives him credit, but he's always a baller, even when he doesn't get a sack. I mean, he's always like right in the quarterback's face every throw. So <clears throat> I think that's the key. I think de- def- defensively, um, they're gonna they're gonna have to shut down Allen's legs, and that's the only thing that scares me. It's kind of like what I said. Um, in week one when we played Daniel Jones, even though that never came to fruition. But, you know, like sometimes that's how Dallas gets beat is we get a, we pin our hairs, you know, pin our hair back and start rushing the quarterback and we get a little, you know, I forgot the word. Like, you know, we don't have the ability to. Yeah. We get, we get home. Yeah. We get honed in on, on the quarterback and then all of a sudden the quarterback breaks loose and now we're all like, Oh, Oh, crap, what are we going to do? So I think that's where it comes from. Discipline football on the defensive side. Let your offense work, and and I think we'll come out okay. I'm just really nervous about um, the weather and, and the cold. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's very yeah. uncommon to see Dallas playing cold games like this. So Now, if I was the medical guy, I'd be making that point as well. But, yeah, like we don't do very great against dual-threat quarterbacks, although we just played Jan Hurts and shut him down. But historically, we don't do that great against – um, scrambling quarterbacks. It's cold and windy, and it's an away game. So it, it's going to be a tough challenge for the Dallas Cowboys. But let's go into our predictions. But we'll start off with our mamas, don't let you Cowboys, and then followed by your prediction. Um, well, actually, let's do this. Prediction followed up with your mamas, don't let you Cowboys. That's probably the easiest way to do it, which is what we've been doing all along. Well, I'm going to do it the other way because mine leads into my so- prediction. <laughs> go ahead. All right, well, mine is Mama. That's exactly what I've been saying. Mamas don't let your Cowboys uh, get affected by the cold weather. So, I, I mean, everything I just said is my prediction. I'm a little nervous about it, but I will say I do think this is going to be a close game. I'm very kind of back and forth on it. I'm not entirely sure, but um, I do see Dallas winning this game like 24 to 21. <laughs> we have the exact same Mama's Orange Cowboys. I'm not even going to kid. That's Mine funny. was, Mama's don't let your Cowboys be babies about the weather. 
Like go in there and handle your business. Don't be that soft team. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't matter if it's rain, sleet, or slow. Like like uh, Mike Parsons We're said, ready to go. Season, rain, sleet, or slow. We coming. We. In. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like that. That'll get you hype. But yeah, I mean that. And then I think another one would be Mama's Lunch Cowboys. Let you know Josh Allen cook with his legs. Um, but if the Cowboys go in there and they do their job, they limit turnovers, they handle time of possession, um, controlling the clock, the defense does its thing, you know, playing um, the way they're supposed to. I think this is a scrappy one, but the Dallas Cowboys would win this game 23 to 19. I, the Bills are always in that weird score margin, so uh, that's why I put 19 there. You never know how they're going to get their points. Um, but, yeah, the weather is always in question. Injuries may impact the Cowboys negatively with the loss of, you know, Jonathan Hankins for a couple weeks. But Dak plays his best ball when the Cowboys um, – or if Dak plays his best ball, um, the Cowboys secure a close one away. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap this podcast up with our records of the week, and then I'll shout out some of our socials, um, and we'll move on into the rest of the week as we get closer into Christmas. Um, but here we go, track records of the week. This is from Inspiring Tunes to Compelling Statistics. It's worth putting on record. Um, <laughs> and I, I actually – and I want to wait till you do yours. So I, I hope I don't pick the same one as you from my – I have like a second one that I literally just thought about, but it's perfect for the time of year. Um, but the one I have is Brandon Aubrey. Um, he is 30 of 30 on field goals so far this year. Um, so, yeah, last night – or Sunday night – Brandon Aubrey was four out of four on field goals, making it from 60 yards, 59 yards, 50, and 45. And he's 30 out of 30 on the season in his first year in the NFL. I mean, it's truly remarkable. Um, um, Brandon Aubrey, you're my record of the week. And I'll let you do yours. But if it's the same one as the one I'm thinking, which it very well could be since we seem to have been thinking just alike in this podcast, um, I'll, I'll obviously – Hold it off. But what is your track record? Well, to add to yours, um, it's so nice to have a kicker on Dallas again that is actually like you don't have to sit there and be like, he's going to miss this 25-year field goal. I mean, I still have the PTSD, but, yeah, you know. You can actually go still... take a piss and come back, and it's three points added. Yeah. So um, my record of the week, I kind of busted it earlier, and I always kind of pick one as we go through the podcast, but – um, I think it's Dak's last seven games with the 28 to whatever I said, 28 to two yeah. intercept, basically since the 49ers game. Yeah. Dak has thrown a billion touchdowns and like two picks. So I think that any, I, I think the commercial that we showed at the beginning of this perfectly wraps up my record of the week. It's like, yeah, like keep talking shit. Like I remember what everybody right. said about the 10 interceptions, like, all right, yeah, I got you. All right, fine. Like I'll villain show mode. So yeah. yeah, we've been talking about it. I love to see him in villain mode, and he he's he's taken that to a whole different level this year. So that's yeah. my record of the week, and it goes right in line with how we started the podcast. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Here we go. All right, my this we're gonna share this one because I know you're gonna agree. But this is uh, I want to put this one on the record for sure. Oh, that was cool. I never even tried that before. Um, is Cody Johnson's Christmas performance with co- the country music. Um, oh, yeah, movie. I can't wait for that. Uh, I heard it's the tomorrow. I'll be home for Christmas kind of like um, 
tunip or whatever, the little snippet part of it. And he's, you know, got the mic or whatever and going after it. And I was like, dang, bro, this is, I, I, I'm still listening to it. I listened to it on the way to work and on the way back, but he does a phenomenal job. Again, um, going to do these awards, award shows and performing for him and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, like you always say, and getting nominated for all these awards and not winning a thing. And it's yeah. very annoying um, because he's the by far the best vocalist and performer probably in real pure country music to this day. Yeah. Um, to add to that, I I saw a freaking post on Facebook or something. Somebody called him mainstream country and I about lost it. I was like, what yeah, he, he would kill you if you heard that probably. Yeah. 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 A mere man. Main, I was like, mainstream country to me is like Morgan Wallen. I'm just kidding. Morgan Wallen and like, you know, like Luke Bryan and stuff. I'm like, you got an actual cowboy out there that's making look like if you go listen to his new album, it's legitimate country music. Yeah, you might have it's to like, simmer down there. Your wife's like, gonna pop into the podcast the episode. What the hell you say about Morgan Wallen? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Morgan Wallen's great too. But yeah, he's definitely mainstream. But yeah, that's I figured that's a good one to share. Um, that is, he plays to, to well. For all of you uh, podcast listeners, he'll be playing tomorrow, uh, December thirteenth on CMAs. He's doing like a Christmas special. I will be tuning in. I will yeah, I'm gonna have to as well. Uh, I want to make it feel more like Christmas around this new crib. Um, okay, so and I should always be saying this at the beginning of the podcast, but this is this was track twenty six, the Light Skin War Volume Two. If you are a first time listener and you made it all the way to the end, um, be sure to download, subscribe, follow. Do everything in between, you know, whatever platform you listen on from across from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to YouTube to damn iHeartRadio. If you find us on there, like, download, subscribe, follow, maybe even turn on your notifications if you want to listen to some real shattering the script every week, every Wednesday. Um, but we are happy to give it to you straight below. If you're watching, you know, we have our Instagram and TikTok at track.pod, uh, Twitter slash X. We've got the, the track pod. The link tree is in all of our bios on Instagram, Twitter, and all the rest of the socials. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube primarily. So tune in for another Shadow of the Script next, next Wednesday, and we'll get closer to Christmas, and then we'll communicate on how we're going to handle our schedule for Christmas. So Merry Christmas to everybody. Um, go watch some of his Christmas Carol with your family. Tune in to the Cody Johnson Show, and go Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? Let's go. Big game Sunday. How about them Eagles? <laughs> Ugh.